Thank you for participating in the things of the gathering and for praying and singing. And these are good things for us to do together. Um, yes, first Sunday of Lent. We've been talking about the season of Lent that started this last Wednesday, this of course being the first Sunday of Lent. Um, for uh, several of you joined us on, on Ash Wednesday, and um, for those of you, whether you were there for Ash Wednesday or not, um, if you find yourself about a half, a half week through of uh, fasting, blessings to you on, on whatever you might be either subtracting or and or adding um, to, to your um, devotion this, this season of Lent. Um, I'd like to orient us to the room, um, this being the first Sunday of this new season. Um, you, you should have noticed a slight change in color of the tablecloths and of the uh, communion table runner from uh, last week to, to this week, um, purple being a pretty common um, color that we attach to the season of Lent, um, and so we have that color among us. Um, in Advent, we had this progressive nativity that you might remember that brought an actual physical, um, a, a physical image to the, the, the growth and progression of Advent. We're going to do a similar thing um, with Lent, and it's going to include the candles that are actually already around us. And you may have noticed as you've come and gone from this place that, that there are generally candles in the windowsills that are lit, as well as the one that uh, is, is on the communion table. And this, of course, for us is a very subtle and peaceful reminder um, of, of two things, is that Jesus is the light of the world, and then we are also the light of the world. And just these very simple reminders that he is present among us, um, he is the light that shines among us, but we are that same light as well. Um, the, the, probably the, my least favorite day of the year is Good Friday, because that is the day where, if taken seriously, we very much lean in to the death of Jesus without talking about the resurrection of Jesus, um, which is super crummy. <laughs> um, and so the, the tension of Lent is that we journey to the, the week leading up to Easter, which I'll, I have a few notes about in just a second, but then this week ends with Good Friday where, where the light of the world when it happened the first time, is extinguished for a brief, horrible three days of darkness, and there's no light. Um, and then we all, you know, Easter comes. And to lean into that just a little bit for the season of Lent, um, of course, we've never done this. This is our second Easter, and we didn't do it last year, but... Um, these candles that you see around us represent a week of Lent. And as each week goes by, you see they're all lit now, as, as each week goes by, we're actually going to extinguish one of the candles and we are not going to relight it the following week. So you see X number of candles that are lit right now. There's going to be this number minus one lit next week. 
um, this number minus two the week after that. Um, to be followed by the extinguishing of this final candle on Good Friday. Um, but then something fun will happen on Easter Sunday, um, and, and I'm quite excited for it. This is, this is a borrowed idea and then also an adapted idea from, from other friends of mine in ministry. So the weeks are going to progress. Each candle is going to be extinguished. Good Friday, this final candle um, will be um, extinguished, representing Christ. On Easter Sunday, um, what we are going to invite you all to do is bring a candle with you to Easter Sunday. Um, whether it is representative of your household or if everyone in your household would like to bring their own candle. Um, and we are going to um, bring those candles with us on Easter Sunday and we're going to pull off all of the smoke alarms and light them all. <laughs> To represent what we just talked about, to represent that the light of the world is now present among us once again on this Easter Sunday, but that it empowers us to be the light of the world as well. So that candle offering, that candle bringing, I hope, um, becomes just a beautiful moment that we look forward to as Reachway family year after year for Easter Sunday. Um, it's going to be that much brighter because of all of the, the lit candles, and who knows what it's going to smell like, right? <laughs> because some of us will have uh, spring candles, and some of us will have winter, and, you know, whatever else. But there's going to be aroma, there's going to be visual, there's going to be an opportunity for us all to be represented um, with these candles, something cool for the kids as well to take part in. So I just want to let you know about that. Um, and would encourage you as, as each week goes by in Lent, be mindful of that there's one less candle lit. There's one less candle lit. Um, culminating to, like I mentioned, this final week before Easter, which is generally called Holy Week. Um, if you were uh, with Reachway last year, you may recall that we did a Good Friday gathering, which is pretty common for churches. Um, we are going to still do that, but we are also going to add two other days which are generally observed by the church, that being Maundy Thursday and Holy Saturday. Um, on, on Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, we're going to be having gatherings here at Reachway at 7 p.m., both nights. Um, I know we had three different gatherings on Ash Wednesday. There's just going to be one particular gathering um, for, those, um, for those two days. Maundy Thursday, we pull from the scriptures of when Jesus institutes um, communion and when he washes his disciples' feet. This is the Last Supper. Maundy Thursday is a time where we consider the Last Supper, this final meal that Jesus has with his disciples um, the day before he is crucified. And then Good Friday, of course, being this day where we remember his crucifixion as well, just with different reading different scriptures, different prayers, and things like that. So I, I want both of those to be on your radar. Would absolutely invite you um, to be part of both of those. And then on Holy Saturday, we are not going to have a gathering. Um, you, might, you may see on our website or in the announcement slides for the next couple of weeks, you'll see written under Holy Saturday on your own. Um, you are going to be given a, a letter 
and most practically, the letter is going to be written by me or writings that I borrow from other authors, but it's going to be a letter that is written to you from the perspective of um, there was this person who we thought was the Messiah. Um, he is dead, and we don't know what to do. Because <laughs> that's what Saturday would have been, right? For, for those first disciples, for those first followers, is for three years we have been with Jesus, and through his baptism, um, through, through accounts of his transfiguration, through different miracles that we've seen him do, we are convinced that he is the Messiah he is here to save, um, but he died, and we don't know what to do about it. That's what that Holy Saturday invites us into is, man, what, what are we going to do? <laughs> what does this mean? Once again, making Easter Sunday all the more special. Um, so that's what the next month and a half is going to look like. Um, just really, really big overview on that. I know that's a lot to take in, but... Lent, candles, Holy Week, Easter Sunday, more candles. Um, and fasting as well, which is what Lent includes for a lot of us. But as far as this morning goes, we're going to be looking at two different scriptures. I would invite you, if you haven't already, um, to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. And then also have, uh, whether it's some kind of a marker, or your finger, a napkin, another piece of paper, in Genesis chapter 3. By the way, the uh, rectangular pieces of paper that are on all of your tables, on the back of those, places to write notes, and on the very top of that section are going to be the scriptures that we highlight every single morning, as well as the page number. Of course, that's the page number of the Bibles that are on the tables. Um, it might not be your, your the Bible that you have, just with different, different copies and things like that. But um, just so you know, those things are always going to be there is, is the, the scriptures that we're going to be referencing. Um, so Matthew chapter 4 as well as Genesis 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, if I could read for us Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 uh, to begin our time this morning. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. And we will stop there as far as Matthew is concerned. Um, quick straw poll. Raise your hand if in, in some way, shape, or form this passage annoys you 
in some way or confuses you or maybe it frustrates you if you have any kind of emotion towards this passage whatsoever. Um, I want to highlight a few things that should bug us. And it's those, these things that I'm about to highlight we're actually not even going to talk about, just to frustrate you all the more. Um, I'm just here to stir the pot. That's my job, isn't it? Um, here, here are some things that truly bother me. The very first verse of chapter 4. Ready? Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? How dare the Spirit, right? <laughs> what? That, that, that should confuse us. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Okay, that makes sense. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay, that makes a little less sense, but the people of Israel in the Old Testament, we read about being in the wilderness a lot. Okay, so I can get there. Okay, so Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, fine, to be tempted. What? And by the devil? What? But we're not even going to talk about that today. (laughs) Here's another thing that bothers me. It should bother us. The language nuances between tempted and tested, both are used, and I'm frustrated by that. Here's a, here's a, a third thing. Um, here, here's something that confuses me, it should bother us, is that three words allegedly have the same meaning. That is devil used in verse 1, tempter used in verse 3, and Satan used in verse 10. That is confusing. This is not so. Why should this be the case? Here's something else that bothers me, um, is that the devil, whoever we call the devil, knows Scripture. That kind of bothers me too, and that frustrates me a little bit, because this doesn't make any sense. And here's a fifth and final thing that bothers me, and maybe it should bother us as well, is that Jesus seems to refute Scripture, but with other Scriptures, This is a very confusing passage, Um, very confusing. And in fact, there could probably be a five-week sermon series on this passage um, because of those things. I'll say this, though, and and let's lean into maybe 90% of the time how this passage is viewed. It's really easy to view this passage as God versus devil and then as a training ground for eventually one day, me versus devil, us versus devil, Um, whatever the humans do versus whatever the devil is. This first week of Lent, though, I want Jesus to be the focal point. Um, So that's our focus today. And what I'd like you to see when you see this passage is I want us to see a fully God, fully human Jesus, which we believe to be true about the Son of God, the Christ. He's fully God, fully human. And I want us to see a fully God, fully human Jesus, hear this language, come face to face with an opportunity that would expedite the journey he already knew he was on. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. He comes face to face with an opportunity, a temptation, the scripture calls it. 
that expedites the journey he already knew he was on, but we see him reaffirm that his trust is in God's process for him. Of course, the Son of God, if you look at these three little attempts, um, verse 3, tell these stones become bread, Jesus is the bread of life. <laughs> he, would, he would soon, in some miraculous way, by his love, multiply bread to feed thousands of people. Tell these stones would become bread. This is what Jesus would eventually become and what would eventually master is bread. Um, verse 6, throw yourself down. Um, you'll, be, you'll be lifted up. This would be the Jesus who would eventually ascend into heaven. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows the journey that he's on. And then verse 8, look at all of these kingdoms. Worship me and I'll give them to you. Jesus knows that the journey that he is already on is going to end with him being lifted up to the right hand of his Father in heaven, and that all of the kingdoms would be a footstool for him. Jesus knows this. But the temptations that are offered up to Jesus expedite the journey he already knew he was on When you see Jesus' rebuttals, see Jesus put his trust back into God's process. The reason that it's important for us to view this passage in this way is because the first example we get of a human being tempted goes sideways. If you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve, we find um, with them an apple that has a few bites taken out of it. And we have given before us in the scriptures an example of humans who are offered up a temptation, but it goes sideways. And it's really, really important for us to see Matthew chapter 4 through the lens of Genesis chapter 3. But to view Matthew chapter 4 as hey, there's a way where we can withstand these temptations. Genesis 3 does not give us that example, right? I know it's a temptation of mine to trap myself into Genesis 3. I know it's a temptation of mine to begin, when I consider my humanity, to begin with Genesis chapter 3 and not Genesis chapters 1 and 2. It is much easier for me to begin with my wretchedness and my sin rather than begin with what does come before that, which is my good and beautiful design and how my God created me. I'm not going to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, but we have an Adam and Eve who are tempted by a crafty creature. And I know sometimes we like to say that that crafty serpent creature was whatever we think we're saying when we say devil, but the scriptures do not do this. Scriptures do not write that in. That's something that people have written in. Um, But what we do know is that a fallen creature has tempted Adam and Eve. That this temptation comes, they fall to it, and uh, sin enters the world. 
And then Levi read earlier about how sin came through one person, justification came through one person as well. This all really does work together beautifully. As a Lenten theme, this morning's passages remind us that there are good things to be received by us. There are good things for us. Adam and Eve knew that there were good things that were there for them. Jesus knew that the journey that he was on was going to result in something that was going to be good for him. But these passages remind us that instead of working to gain them for ourselves, we are to patiently wait. And in due time, God will invite us in and lead us through those new spaces. This is something that I believe is shared by every single human being. And I think we share a lot of things because we do have the same creator. I think human beings are wired to know that their creator created them well and that their creator has their best intentions in mind. I think that is something that is wired into every single human being, is that I was created well and that the one who created me has my best intentions in mind. Those are true things, and I think those are true things for us. But what the world will do is something that the season of Lent is meant to reverse. Knowing that God created us well, knowing that he has our best intentions in mind, Lent rewires the human journey forth at God's pace and process and not the pace of the world's rat race. A lot of rhyming there, a lot of whatever, okay? Gloss over the rhyming. We get swept up believing that God wants the best for me. It's just something you can feel. But what Lent does is it takes that feeling and says, stop trying to earn the best intentions and wait patiently for God to walk you through those moments where those best intentions come about. I know that God wants what's best for me. And here I am observing in the world around me exactly how I can get it. And so we play by our own pace. And we set our own timelines. And we jump when we should have walked. And then we trip and fall and blame God for it darn it. <laughs> and we sprint instead of crawl. And when we run into a pillar, fall on our butts, we blame God for it. Should have been crawling. Shouldn't have been sprinting. What Lent also does is it rewires the human to journey forth with God's design in mind. It's God's design that we see elevated in the annoying scriptural back and forth between Jesus and the devil. 
is we see God's design bubble to the surface. And I hope that you can see the battle between a worldly way of thinking and a godly way of thinking, between the scriptural back and forth, between the tempter and Jesus. Hey, the scriptures say this, so you should just do it. Or, hold on a minute, we don't put the Lord to the test. Hey, the scriptures say this, so you should do it. Eventually, Jesus goes, get away from me. (laughs) Because this isn't God's process. This isn't the way in which things should be done. Not only when it comes to timeline and pace and planning, but we have to ask the question, do the ends justify the means? And what Jesus says here is clearly no. Clearly no. If the end Jesus knew was supposed to be him having the nations as a footstool and him being able to be the master of bread and him being able to be lifted up by angels, if he knew that those were the ends, and if he knew the means didn't matter, then he would have exactly gone for this. Wouldn't he have? And wouldn't we have as well? If we knew that the only thing that mattered was how this ended, go for it. Get this three years done for Jesus, right? Jesus shows us that there is a pace, and not only is there a pace, but there is a process. So we join Jesus on this journey towards the cross. That's what Lent is all about. Joining in with Jesus on this journey towards the cross. And so today what that means for us is that we join him in a journey that is at his pace and by his process. So today, the big idea, the name of this sermon, the big idea, write it down, bold, highlight, underline. Trust the process, but don't determine the process. Of course, it would be very easy for us to trust the process if it's the process that we thought of, right? I can... I can put my trust into this process because I thought of it. You got it half right. Trust the process, good, but you don't determine the process. The process is what we will learn in Lent and beyond. The the process patterned by the life and ministry of Jesus is that sometimes the process hurts. And sometimes the process is so much slower than we wanted it to be. And sometimes the process is what every single person I hear on TV and the radio, every single person I read about in the newspaper, and every single person I view on social media Sometimes the process is the exact opposite of all of those things. And that's why Lent is so painful. That's why it's so stinky if we actually lean into those differences. Because here's the deal. We live in a world where if you want something and you are on the right side of privilege, 
You can get it. That's the world we live in. Both of those things have to be true. Because believe me, the American dream isn't for every person in America. Okay, so you can't just get whatever you want. You've got to be on the right side of privilege, too. And if you want something and you are on the right side of privilege, you can get it. You want the car? Get the car. You want the house? Get the house. And we also live in a world, this is the scarier world, where we believe that God wants us to have something and we're on the right side of privilege. So we go, we go out and get it. And those can be scary, scary places to live. Scary, first and foremost, because they completely ignore the pace and process of Christ. They ignore patience. Two-day shipping ignores patience. And um, whatever we have to do to get whatever we want, because I believe that God wants the best for whatever, I'll tell you what. If, um, if God wanted the best for us, and it happened to look exactly like what humans think is the best for them, then something went wrong. Otherwise, we are not actually sinful people. So let's say there's no sin in the world. We wouldn't even be here, would we? <laughs> we, there, we who would need a church? We wouldn't. There wasn't some connection that we needed with our Creator, our Savior, our Healer, our Redeemer. We wouldn't be here. What I hope we see over Lent, and maybe we've already seen it, is the the vast gap between God's process and pace for us and the process and pace that the world seems to be structured by. And there are differences. And there is good news. And the good news is that there is enough room for each and every one of us to journey with Jesus. There's enough room for you. And there's no order in line in which we have to position ourselves based on the good that we've done or the bad that we've done. Um, the good news is that you, if we find ourselves in a place where we really need to reorient some things, we really need to we really need some rewiring. We really need to rethink some stuff. The good news for you is that there's enough room for you on this journey. And the good news for you and the good news for all of us is that there's no better time than right now. You didn't, the, the ship didn't leave the dock yesterday. 
If you were here on Ash Wednesday, we read passages of that even now we can turn back to the Lord. Yeah. So I want to encourage you this Lent. Um, if there is some rewiring of the pace in which you feel is appropriate. If there is an opportunity for you, maybe you've noticed that, that there needs to be um, a rewiring of the process. How am I supposed to go about these things? Uh, a, a couple of tips, a couple of tips. Um, tip one is the third thing on our table guides. Don't go it alone. If you feel like there is some rewiring that needs to be done, if you want some, some clarity on, am I seeing this right? Am I approaching this with my own plan? Or could this be God's plan? Am I, am I trying to adapt my own process onto this thing? Or is this the world's process? Is this God's process? Talk to someone. Talk to someone that you really do believe has your best interests in mind, but more, but more than that would be able to show you some things we believe about Jesus and God and the scriptures that can maybe help us. Living in a tunnel is an incredibly safe place to be, but that is the hardest place to grow. Because if you're in a tunnel, there's probably enough room for you to hit your shoulders against the walls. So don't live in a tunnel. And if, if, if you're trying to rewire, if you're trying to see clearly, if you're trying to bat the fog away, don't do it by yourself. Seek counsel. You've got a community of people here at Reachway that, that love and care about you and would be happy to pray with you. Um, and, and my other Lenten challenge for us would be that, that we, we kick back against any temptation <laughs> to approach a new habit or to approach the fasting of a habit as, I just got to get this over with because this is the right thing to do, and then when Lent is over, I can just jump back in. Um, if you were a part of the Formation Corner workshop, we did, man, it feels like forever ago. We did this spiritual formation workshop here at Reachway, which I'm sure we'll do again. But we talk about our relationship with approaching the scriptures. And um, we, we talk about how we don't eat food just to stay out of trouble. That's not, our, that's not our primary motivation for eating food. We eat food when we're hungry. So don't just engage with the, this is what we say in the workshop, don't just engage with the scriptures to get out of trouble. Engage with it when you get hungry. And if we get hungry between the three or four or seven meals that I eat every day, um, then man, our, our spiritual lives, our vision, our minds, they get hungry too. 
The same thing with Lent, the same thing with a fast, or the same thing with an addition of a, of a practice or rhythm. Don't let the motivation be, I'm going to do it, it's the right thing to do. Easter Sunday comes, I'm done with it. Let the motivation be, no, there's, there's something here for me to find. There's something here.